Welcome back to Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast. This time we're discussing Doctor Strange number four by Mark Wade and Jesus Sayas. Welcome back, fellow defenders and uh, Supremes, to our issue discussion of Doctor Strange number four, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, uh, done by Mark Wade and Jesus Says. Uh, yeah, getting on to the fourth issue of this book. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Derek. Hello there, fellow Supremes. I am one of your hosts, John, as well, back for Doctor Strange and Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yes, our fourth episode of the Strange Tales run now so it's starting to get off the ground and we have some great news of forthcoming comic book discussions on strange tales as well Mm -hmm. so uh really can't wait to share those with you yeah yeah definitely and some great news we finally got strange tales on defenders tv podcast set up on google podcasts and over on itunes or apple Podcasts, depending on what way you want to call it um all you need to do is just search for Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast. You'll pick up all of our comic book reviews, including all of our Damnation coverage, plus all the coverage that we're doing for Strange Tales, including these four Doctor Strange issues. Uh, we are now caught up to date on the Doctor Strange run so far. Uh, this issue was released on the 15th of August of this year, 2018. Uh, so that means that our next issue of this coverage will be for Doctor Strange number five, coming out at the end of September, or mid- mid-September, I think it is. So um, we'll talk about that later on uh, in our discussions but that's where we're going to be going with this we'll be taking a little bit of break after this going back to our normal coverage for iron fist the second season on netflix Uh, really looking forward to covering that as well yeah cannot wait for iron fist season two another one of my favorite comic book characters Mm -hmm. uh, brought to life through marvel netflix so yeah season two it will be a roller coaster no doubt with uh, everything that went on from season one plus we had Danny Rand in The Defenders, and of course he was there recently on Luke Cage Season 2. So Mm -hmm. he hasn't really been out of the the limelight of the Marvel Netflix shows uh, since his first season. So it was a really interesting look at that character. He's kind of consistently been there over the last different series of the Defenders on Netflix, other than maybe The Punisher. So Mm -hmm. no maybe about it. He wasn't in The Punisher. Uh, I would like to see those two go up against one another, though, um, (laughs) since he can deflect bullets with his iron fist. Ooh, Kenny, that's cool. Yes. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, also looking forward to catching up with the other characters that we haven't seen since Iron Fist, like Joy Meacham and Ward Meacham, seeing what they've been getting up to. Uh, Characters like Davos, who we haven't seen since the first season, so really excited to get back to that. But first, we are going to be talking about a comic book. Uh, You have to have read the comic book to listen to this podcast, obviously, because it is a spoiler-filled discussion. Um, Uh, Interestingly, following on from issue three, this is not a tie-in to the Infinity Wars event. As we'd speculated during our coverage of issue three, that is just telling us where the placement of the time stone is. It's no direct connection to Infinity Wars, so we won't be covering the Infinity Wars event on this unless it has a direct bearing on Doctor Strange, right? Uh, Absolutely. That's the plan, right? Yeah, that is the plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the Infinity War series at the moment is a 
pretty good read as well. Mm, yeah. So if you're interested in anything to do with Infinity Wars, it's certainly something to check out as well. Yeah, and another space set book as well. So if you're excited about the space set characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain Marvel, those kind of characters, it's a very similar uh, type of, of book to those books as well. But let's get into this issue. As always, this book is written by Mark Wade and the artwork is by Jesus Sayas. John, do you want to tell us the synopsis that Mark Wade gave us at the beginning of this book? Sure. Stephen and his new friend Kana, an archaeologist, continue their cosmic jaunt, acquiring and trading mystic artifacts while rebuilding Doctor Strange's skills and confidence. Though Kana believes she was doing the Doctor a favour by introducing him to a scroll sorcerer acquaintance, Strange's mistrust of the scrolls proved well-founded as the alien magician was handing over the Time Infinity Stone to the Super Skrull. Stephen risked his and Kana's lives to intercept it, then cast a spell so she would forget the stone was in their possession. So their adventure goes on, with Kana unaware that Stephen's arrogance has already come between them once. Absolutely, I certainly think uh, Stephen Strange's arrogance is on show once again uh, in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, it's been gone for a while. Yeah. Uh, it comes back intermittently, but certainly here... It's great seeing this aspect of this character coming back as his confidence improves as both Kana and him jaunt, as Mark Wade says, through the the galaxy. I'd quite like to do a jaunt through the galaxy, actually. <laughs> cool, yeah. I think it'd be pretty good. Yeah. But it is one of those things where, you know, and this is what I love about this character, is that, you know, do you root for him or are you simply infuriated by him? And, <laughs> you know, because... Where he is, what he does, this idea that he is a supreme sorcerer defending Earth, defending the galaxy from other realms, Mm -hmm. mystical threats, magical threats. He does have that detachedness about him. Uh, In some ways, a bit like Tony Stark, as we've discussed previously. You know, it does mean that you have to kind of take the rough with the smooth a bit with uh, Doctor Strange. And uh, yeah. He is certainly doing a bit of rough at the moment. Definitely, definitely. And to quote a very famous TV personality, it's all about the confidence for Doctor Strange, isn't it? It uh, really as is. As Gokwan once said, um, he, once he gets that confidence back, and you see it a lot here, as, as you mentioned, John, we're going to go into into our uh, incantations. But as you mentioned, start, he's starting to get all of his powers back, starting to be able to connect back in with all of the mystical and magical tools that he uses. So he's starting to get that feeling of, I am now the Sorcerer Supreme. He's very close to getting back to that level again. And with that confidence, with that that pressure of the universe on his shoulders, comes the arrogance that he can do whatever he wants to. So he's called out quite well in this book. But let's get into our incantations, John, because our first incantation deepens the mystery of this book uh, to begin with. So what we find in the opening of this book is that Stevens lost his memory to the connection as to why he lost the magic. We find out that he lost a couple of days in the run-up to why he's lost the magic, which provides some brand new questions for us. Yeah, it uh, really adds the layers, I think, to um, Stephen's uh, journey without magic at mm-hmm. this moment. And, and that, you know, whether it is through old age or, or whether it is through <laughs> the, the magical confines of 177A Bleecker Street, he he doesn't have any memories um, from that run-up to where he lost uh, his magic or that connection to uh, the magic. Uh-huh. He he literally has nothing there to be able to tell Kana uh, when she 
you know, begins to ask questions and explore their relationship. Yeah. So this is really interesting. You know, he 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 posits a few theories here, which I think are some of the great questions that maybe deepens this uh, a bit more. You know, has his memories been removed? Did he battle a demon um, and and have it removed? You know, was that part of a spell cast by the demon? Yeah. Was it a punishment ultimately? You know, was it this cost of um, his previous magic? Yeah. You know, the, it's a big theme running through these that magic has a cost. And it's really being played out quite frequently uh, within these few series of Doctor Strange. It's always been there, but they really are focusing on it. So mm-hmm. was it that cost? of his previous magic. We have seen the accounts receivable in this series so far. So, you know, some really good questions being asked here. And it's great seeing that confusion, that slight loss here uh, of Stephen Strange, not really knowing how it all happened, Mm -hmm. why he lost his connection to magic. Um, And I think that's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I definitely want to point out is that Kana is using a spell on him to find out what happened before he lost the magic. And the information just isn't there. That's, I think, quite an important point that yeah. that we're seeing here. It's not that he's just forgotten about it or that some spell is in there blocking the information. It's that the information is just not there. It's like it's been carved out of his memory um, and kind of can't reach it. So that's quite interesting. So I definitely think we're going to see that in the future. It's, it's quite important. And important that he never mentioned it before either. What we saw at the beginning of the book, the narrator, as we were talking about in the first issue, is saying that the magic is disappearing from Doctor Strange. And it doesn't seem like it's mentioning anything about the fact that he's lost four or five days beforehand or what happened just beforehand. So there is a reason behind it that we'll hopefully find out over the course of the series. That's it. And is it a longer thing that that goes right back to the empirical coming to destroy magic and, and that removal of magic from the universe or is it something whereby maybe this isn't Stephen Strange it's a shorter term thing maybe the experiments that the Grindons did um, have somehow wiped his memory and you just reminded me of what I thought originally when I read the book I was going is Stephen Strange a scroll is that the reason why he has no magical powers has a scroll replaced Stephen Strange and he's actually learning magic for the first time from Kana yeah, interesting. So actually, the battle with Clurt um, and Matt Knox and Book Knox uh, previously, that they, um, it could have been part of a plan for them to retain the Time Stone. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Maybe a larger plan or something. Yeah. That would be quite interesting, that the, the that kind of secret invasion aspect of the scrolls um, is starting all over again. I don't know why, it just suddenly crossed my mind, like if you had a scroll that took the place of, of Doctor Strange and they wiped his memory of his time being Doctor Strange beforehand, maybe that's caused this, but yeah. But I think as well, the other interesting thing here um, that's happening at the same time as we find out that he doesn't have any memories is that he is starting to feel that connection back to magic. That mm-hmm. There is a return of his powers to the Sorcerer Supreme. And this is really as well where it, it jumps off into him being much more self-assured and some of those old traits of arrogance uh, starting to creep back in, in that he feels he's all-powerful, invincible, and he can do no wrong. You know, he won't 
allow himself to be questioned. And and you know when that happens to Stephen Strange that things are somehow going to go bad. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think with that, onto incantation number two, because we have a really nice voice of reason in this uh, in this comic, which is Efron, the weapon builder, mm-hmm. um, a dwarf, similar a bit to Brock and Sindri of Norse mythology uh, he is a master weapon builder yeah, but yeah. his speciality in a sense is magical weapons he himself doesn't have any magic mm-hmm. but or he has limited dwarven magic but he has this speciality of creating weapons and engineering forging weapons that can house magical artifacts yeah. or can imbue the magical powers that the object needs to. So really, um, really interesting. But he he's from Nidavellir, um, and that's the same place where Meow Meow, or Mjolnir, as we also know it uh-huh. as, um, Thor's hammer and Stormbreaker, Beta Ray Bill's axe were crafted by Itri in, in the comics. Beta Ray Bill's. Sounds like uh, kind of a, a 60s uh, swinging... Hippie. There's definitely, uh, definitely created in the 70s, I think, Better Ray Bill. Yeah. Uh, but Better Ray Bill is kind of a another god who is rewarded with something like Mjolnir, who's the only other person that's been able to raise the hammer, or one of the only other characters in the Marvel Universe that's able to raise the hammer. So what we saw was in the comic books, they went to uh, Nedevelir and built him his own axe. We've seen Stormbreaker in the movies. We've seen it in uh, in. Infinity War. We've seen Atiri uh, in the movies as well. Uh, the character was played by Peter Dinklage yep. uh, in Infinity War as well. But this character, Eofran, is a new creation by Mark Wade. He's another one of the dwarfs that live and build and work in the forge and build all of these magical and mystical weapons for the gods usually. And that's what we see here. That's the reason why Doctor Strange wants to save him and rescue him is because he doesn't want the powers being used for evil. Him him building weapons for the bad guys in this book. I think before we go on to um, seeing how Efron plays out in, in, in this issue, I do want to say that I really want to hear the, the sweet, soft acoustic sounds of Beta Ray Bill's uh, album. <laughs> I reckon it would be truly magnificent and it would work well with 60s, 70s Stephen Strange as well. I may have to show you some pictures of what Beta Ray Bill looks like. I don't think he's a singer. Um, or a guitarist. No, 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 certainly not. Certainly not. More rock, maybe? But let's get back on to Eofran. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, we see him here in this issue standing up to Stephen uh, after he's been rescued by Stephen and Kanna uh, from uh, this alien race that has had him uh, restrained and in jail, in prison for their purposes. And we see him trying to take revenge on Roxner, which is the leader of the Majestane. Um And this is the alien race. But we see that Stephen really has vengeance in his heart. You know, he has a lot of pent-up anger. And his reconnection to that magic has allowed him to really blow his own trumpet a bit. He overextends himself to some extent as well because Mm -hmm. it doesn't really work out. And in the rescue that takes place, he only comes out of um, the battle with... Eofren. This planet that Eofren and Stephen end up on kind of slightly reminded me of the Soul Realm that Thanos finds himself in uh, with uh, the younger Gamora um, right after he's done his uh, 
click of the fingers. It felt a little ethereal. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a really nice sequence of pages uh, of the two of these men having this conversation where uh, Eofren is challenging Stephen as to why he's doing what he was doing back on the the planet where the Magistane are, uh, really questioning the motives behind Stephen, you know, that it's all about vengeance. He really has lost sight of what he's trying to do because his heart is full of anger and, and, and rage and he simply wants to... Um, effectively show everyone else who is boss, who is yeah. the most powerful. Maybe nothing too dissimilar from some of the bad guys that you would see in Marvel Comics, you yeah. know, and, and some of their motives. And, and I really, really like this. Yet he does ultimately end up saying that he can and will help him. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what that planet actually reminded me of? Go on. Tatooine from Star Wars. Okay. It's just where Steven says... By the number of suns that are above us, I can tell that we're not on the same planet. We're kind of left <laughs> yeah. us. So it kind of felt like they were going, well, there's dual suns here. We're in a vast open expanse like on Tatooine. So I thought it was a little Star Wars reference. Um, but yeah, I really like this challenging from Yoffrin. Effectively, the beginning of, of that section where they arrive on the planet, Yoffrin's going, don't hurt me, because he thinks Stephen is a violent character yeah. because of his first introduction, really, to him. Um, what we see is Stephen kind of going to him, but no, I just wanted justice. It wasn't revenge that I wanted. And Yoffrin's challenge back to him is but that's not a founding principle of magic you should be following the principles of magic that's what you're supposed to be as the sorcerer supreme so a great little challenge from somebody that knows magic well he's worked with many other mag magical creatures in the universe so a nice little moment between the two of them here yeah one of the great things here which i really liked was that he points out to stephen strange i think for the first time that he should build his own weapons rather than using someone else to do that and um, and he's you know if if he as someone with a magical skill can forge such weapons as these then you know what can he imbue those weapons with what could these objects these weapons accomplish um with that and so he often transports Stephen to his new workshop and um, through a dwarven gateway um to what is known the as the forge that's right yeah. so you know here we have the magical blacksmith uh, supreme here <laughs> uh, of yeah. Of Doctor Strange, um, but but it's really interesting concept here. He wants Stephen to forge his own weapons mm -hmm. and to imbue them with the magic that he has control over, uh, rather than him simply doing it on his behalf. Exactly. Yeah. Like over the course of the last you know, fifty odd years of comic books, you always hear Stephen call out the names of the things that he's using. For example, the big one really is the Eye of Agamotto. You know, Agamotto was the original Sorcerer Supreme. We've seen him in comic books quite recently. We've seen him uh, feature in the Stone Age Avengers, uh, the first people that carried the mantles of things like Sorcerer Supreme. So he was a character in himself. So quite clearly that means that Agmato created a magical weapon that's still in use today. So why can't Stephen create this kind of stuff? Why can't it be the Eye of Strange as opposed to the Eye of Agmato? Why can't he create weapons? It's a really good concept and feels like something brand new for the character brought to this book by Mark Wade. I can't remember any instance, and I haven't read a huge amount of Doctor Strange comics, as, as our listeners know, but I can't remember any instance before where this was posited to Stephen and his response to it is him going, oh yeah, that's actually makes a lot of sense that I would create magical weapons like all of the previous sorcerers before me. Yeah, I mean, it's generally about learning uh, and practicing spells and incantations or it's about imbuing 
objects that already exist to hold the magic because you can't wield it yourself. Exactly. Yeah. You know, in, imbuing uh, different objects with those um, incantations that you learn, not about creating the weapons. So the, the already kind of uh, artifacts that exist, and that's part of the reason why Kana and Steven are going around the galaxy to find these objects that have had those spells sort of buried deep within the object uh, that can then be used uh, against enemies and against yeah. threats. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think, you know, here we have just Eofren and Steven. I think it brings us on to incantation number three because Kana has made a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. She is not transported to this world uh, with Eofren and Stephen Strange. Uh, you know, Stephen effectively here tries to save everyone whilst they're fighting Roxnor and the Magistane. And the reason why he continues to really try and press this advantage against Roxanne is because of this connection back to his magic and specifically back to the Cloak of Levitation. Yeah. You know, effectively, Stephen Strange gets cocky, you know, and because of that, he then feels that he can do everything, save them all, and he forgets about what Kana and Eofren may sort of bring to the table here in this fight, you know, their strategy. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, um, you know, we see here, which I think is really cool, the Cloak of Levitation uh, doing an MCU version of itself here in attacking Roxner and, and wrapping uh, him up in, in the cloak. Yeah. yeah. Really, really good. I certainly don't remember another instance in the comic books where the Cloak of Levitation has done this, where it wraps itself around and becomes its own weapon. We know it's sentient. We know that there's a connection between Doctor Strange and the Cloak in the comic books, and it helps him fly and it helps him move around. But I'd never seen it as a character like I did in the in the movie versions of Doctor Strange. So it's interesting that they pull this into the book itself. What's also really interesting is... Strange points out that the one thing he's missing is the connection to this. And once he gets that connection back, that's when he becomes cocky. Yeah. They're effectively saying to him, Kana's kind of going, well, you could have just used that cloak to, you know, transport us towards our ship. But you decided to turn back around and start this fight all over again. Yeah. Once again, another poor choice from Stephen. Yeah, he's like a dog with a bone uh, and not a chilled bats the dog with a bone. (laughs) You know, he really is just incessantly going after Mm Roxner. You know, it's a poor choice. His arrogance has clouded um, the the better choices that he could have had here. Um, And ultimately, it is Kana that transports the offer and Stephen off the planet and effectively um, sacrificing herself to the the chains of the Magistane here. Mm. Uh, You know, and following then on from last week's issue this is really interesting because you know Stephen has betrayed her in uh, in relation to the time stone yeah. saying that he would give it to her you know he promised this and then he takes it away from her but then he wipes her mind uh, and we have that moment it's slightly uncomfortable really where she's going i trust you Stephen." yeah after effectively him lying to her and then wiping her memory. And so sacrificing herself um, is a really interesting turn of events because she still is absolutely committed to this team of her and Stephen. Mm -hmm. Um, And she still is blissfully unaware at this moment as to what Stephen has done from what we saw in the last issue. Yeah, very important words you use there at this moment because it's definitely coming around to bite Stephen on the ass when uh, when she does find out. Uh, Let's get on to Incantation 4. The reason for Eofren being captured really is that the Magistane needed a weapon. So Kana sacrificing herself 
to save Stephen. And Eofran has actually put her in their crosshairs. They've effectively gone, well, she's obviously quite good at magic. She's obviously quite good at building tools and weapons. So we're going to use her as a replacement for Eofran. She's probably going to be able to build something that we can use as a magical weapon to attack our enemies. So what we find out is their enemy, at the end of the book, we find out that their enemy is Earth. Earth are the ones that have been uh, that have been causing all of the problems. So Stephen's not there to hear this. She doesn't really care about Earth at all. So does it really matter to her that they're going to be attacking Earth? So will she just go along with them and build this weapon so they can go on and attack Earth? Yeah, I mean, Earth has done some serious issues in mm. the galaxy. You know, we have the Magistain here in this issue. The Skrulls were looking for revenge in, in the last issue. Mm -hmm. And the Grindons in the second issue were ultimately going, well, maybe... This looks like a, a race that we can kind of overpower and, and enslave. So, yeah, Earth really um, has is a bit of a double edged sword, really, in this uh, in this world because um, there's a lot of people gunning to attack Earth, yes. um, and Roxner here absolutely wants to have magic and magical weapons to attack. Earth. And that is ultimately that as an alien race, they do have magic there um, at the center of, of their race as yeah. well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I had to look it up because I kind of should have recognized these characters. Uh, the Magistain are a race of aliens that we have seen in the TV show universe before. Not ones that we cover, but over on the TV show, The Runaways, the character of Carolina um, is a character that shines bright. Her skin shines with di like diamonds, which is very similar to the description that we hear of uh, Roxnor and the Magistain in this book. Um, she is a member of the Magistain race. So in an issue of Runaways, actually a couple of years ago, the Magistain appeared. There was a, um, a wedding between the two of them where their home planet was destroyed. So I wonder, is this what Roxnor is referring to? Now, we haven't read issue five, so we don't know. But I wonder if this is what Roxnor is referring to. Is this the thing that caused the problem between Earth and the Magistain, the destruction of their home planet? <laughs> Seems like quite a big reason to go and destroy Earth, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. And I mean, it, their home planet was blown up by uh, the Skrulls after this altercation at Carolina's wedding as yeah, well. So, yeah. yeah, it could very well be. But again, it's another threat against Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, coming at it from this same dimension, the same realm that Stephen Strange lives in, but this time it is an attack with magic from the same realm. Yeah. You know, we always talk about these cross-dimensional threats, such as the dark dimension coming to try and consume the the realm and the dimension that earth is in mm -hmm. but here we it's a it's another form of existential threat coming from outside of uh, earth yeah. uh, from another part of the galaxy so it'll be interesting to see where this go again it's another thread in this comic series there's a few threads opening up here which Absolutely. are still very much open and how this is going to play out and um, maybe the Magistain are just simply a story device here for Kanna to really find out maybe what Stephen has done to her for Stephen obviously to maybe learn uh, the forging of magical weapons himself mm -hmm. but maybe you know at the moment we've had kind of three issues here where there has been some threat about to be uh, implemented towards earth yeah and um, where Stephen has done um some 
pretty big things, you know, effectively enveloping uh, a planet. He's killed the leader and the remaining Skrull magician uh, in, in Clert and, and Matnox. Still not sure whether he killed Clert, though, are we? I'm going to say that for now. He certainly... Okay. It looked like it. I think, they no- I think they knocked him out and went running when the scrolls started to arrive. But he certainly got Clerk to kill Matnix in that in that issue, definitely. So that's that's definitely where the death was. I just wasn't sure whether Doctor Strange or Kana had killed any character there. I think they'd led a character to be killed and then left when they were about to be attacked by the rest of the scrolls. So I think the Super Scroll is still alive. We may see him in another book in future. What I did like in this book is just if this is a reference back to the Runaways, bringing the Runaways characters into this book is quite an interesting choice. Yeah, completely. So on to incantation number five then. Yeah, our final Um, incantation. Yeah. The artwork in this comic book, I think, is really good. Uh, I think it's on pages 18 through to 21, uh, where Eofran and Stephen are on this desolate planet having this argument Mm. uh, before Eofran shows... Stephen, the gateway to his forge, uh, you know, inviting him to create his own weapons. Yeah. And I just think it's really nice. The, the panels are just so good, focusing in on each of the men having this argument and, and discussion, really, whilst this kind of backdrop of desolation um, with the, the two sons in the background and having come from, you know, Kanna sacrificing herself to save these two men from the Magistane. Uh, really, really nice set of panels, I, I, I thought. And, yeah. and certainly when he captures the essence of his magic power again with his powers kind of in full force again, you see on, on page 14, Stephen levitating up over the Magistane, over Roxnor, with both Kanna and Offren there being held up with his magical incantation. It's I think it's a full uh, page spread. It's just really pardon the pun magical and the cloak of levitation carry him up there as well yeah, yeah really cool to see him back to his his full stature but still an arrogant Stephen strange as always uh, yeah the other part of incantation number five is the story structure in this book it's quite different to what we've seen in the previous issues so far um it kind of made it feel like a really short book because you started with kind of the middle of the story and then worked towards it and then worked two different character arcs after they left the planet so it felt like you were playing with time a little bit quite interesting since strange has the time stone uh, at the moment on him so a nice way to kind of infer that in the book that they're kind of playing with time a little bit just yeah. thought it was a nice change for the story it didn't go from page one to page 22 uh, straight through the story it did a nice little mix around uh, of the book but uh, but yeah nice, a nice change to the book this time and yes as you say beautiful artwork again by his you say i'm really liking what he's done on there um i need to get some more recommendations of other stuff that he's done because i really want to see some of the other artwork that he's done outside of the world of dr strange yeah, absolutely. I think with that, onto our defense of this issue of Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme of Space, Part 4. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a, it's a long title. It is long a title. long title. John, as always, we'll hand it over to you. Do you defend this issue of Doctor Strange? I do defend this issue of Doctor Strange. I give it four dwarven blacksmiths out of five. Again, I think the artwork is absolutely top-notch. I'm loving the different threads that Mark Wade is providing within these different issues, and in particular this one with the Magistane, seeing Doctor Strange reconnect to his powers, but at the same time seeing his absolutely fundamental flaw as a human being come back, Mm -hmm. where he just feels he can do it. 
and you know it, it ties in nicely to the last issue where he has in effect betrayed Kana. Um, you know he has hidden uh, and manipulated her, and he's done that to so many people, uh, and it always comes back on him. And here we see Kana still unknowing about this sacrifice herself. So I, that's a nice little uh, reflection back on on issue three. I love uh, often and what. Um, tantalizing future bits we might get from him teaching Doctor Strange how to create weapons and magical weapons at that. I think it's a really good idea being yeah. introduced here. And then to see how the Magistane treat Kana, what they do to them and how Steven gets back. It's, it's really opening up a nice story. And again, the, these two characters of Kana and, and Stephen Strange just have a really good rapport with one another. Mm-hmm. And even though it was antagonistic, I love the rapport between Offren and Stephen Strange as well. Yeah, I, the yeah. idea that, you know, this dwarf would stand up to him and really question what it is that he's doing. And hopefully he gives that metaphorical slap across the face to Stephen mm-hmm. so that he comes to his senses and um, so that he can maybe make amends with Kana. So there's a lot of intrigue here for me uh, in this issue and i i really enjoyed the read yeah yeah definitely really enjoyed it i'm looking forward to a magical weapon being called the arrogance of strange in future <laughs> that'd be a pretty good one uh, yeah i really enjoyed it I, again the structure of the story seemed to make it a very short story for me i read through it in about five or ten minutes and then realized hang on that's that's over <laughs> but then when i went back and read it again for the notes for this podcast i actually really enjoyed it more the second time i think i was probably rushing to the end to find out how the story resolved yeah. i suppose it's probably probably that and it, it kind of allowed you to rush through it very quickly but but staying on the pages and, and looking at some of the artwork is fabulous and really enjoyed the storyline again. Loving this coverage of this book and really looking forward to getting back to it next month. Uh, not many notes in this particular issue. Just to mention again, uh, if you want to read any more about the Magistane, uh, read Runaways because there is a character in there, Carolina, who is a member of the Magistane. So you'll see a bit more about who they are and, and some of their motivations. She doesn't have a major connection to them as a race. So you don't see their, them very much. But volume three, issue two is the one that they last appeared in, uh, in the runaway storyline. So check that out as well. And also we mentioned Agamato as being a Sorcerer Supreme when he was a Sorcerer Supreme. If you want to read any more about that character and what he has, because most, most of the time you really just talk about the Eye of Agamato in the comic books, but if you want to read about Agamato himself, uh, have a check out on Marvel Legacy number one. Uh, it was released last year, and there's a good little arc in there with uh, with Agamato, just seeing what he's like as the Sorcerer Supreme. He's, he's appeared a few more times uh, since then, but just check him out in that book just to see if you're interested in his style of being Sorcerer Supreme. Yes, that is 1 billion BC in the making. Mm-hmm. Yes, back to sort of Neanderthal Stone Age um superheroes yes yes first iron fist in there as well and, and jason aaron as well yeah um so pretty good uh, yeah worth a check out yeah that's it for our discussion on dr strange sorcerer supreme of the galaxy number four remember if you want to send in any thoughts about any of our comic book coverage you can email us at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com or you can come over and join us on our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenders tv podcast yes and of course we will have a few future comics coming up as well uh, mm-hmm. on Strange Tales. Uh, first off, we have Nick Fury and Maria Hill returning in the Captain Marvel Prelude comic uh, in November. That's November 14th uh, mm-hmm. this year. 
Another massive element that we will be introducing here are the return of the original Defenders. Yes, that is Doctor Strange, Namor, Immortal Hulk, and Silver Surfer coming in December. I think it's December the 18th with five one-shots with the subtitle The Best Defense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think there's four writers and, and artists take, having their own take on each of the original Defenders, followed by a, a joint comic called The Best Defense, where they all come to defend the world. Yes, yes, looking forward to, see, to reading that as well. And definitely looking forward to actually talking some Nick Fury on yes. our Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast as well. Uh, that's going to obviously be a Marvel Cinematic Universe connection. That's not a Nick Fury comic book connection. It's a, definitely an MCU connection. So if you haven't seen Infinity War by then, or if you don't want to be spoiled for what's coming up in Captain Marvel, these preview comics tend to have a little bit of good background for the future movies that are coming up that they're that they're based on. Hence the prelude title, obviously. Uh, but they don't normally spoil anything that's happening in the movie itself. So don't be too worried about it. But that's coming on November 14th. Looking forward to that one. And obviously, we're going to be back on the 7th of September on our main feed with our review of Iron Fist Season 2, Episode 1, Fury of the Iron Fist. So make sure you're subscribed to Defenders TV Podcast in order to get all of our coverage of Iron Fist Season yes, 2. Yes, absolutely. And of course, from that moment, Strange Tales will have a less frequent release on Defenders TV Podcast as we get into Iron Fist Season 2. Mm -hmm. um, we will, however, be coming back with Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy... <gasps> Part 5, uh, which will be released on the 19th of September. So that's when we'll be back with Mark Wade's and Jesus Sayers's, uh treatment of Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to getting back to Strange Tales and Defenders TV podcast. But yes, we are in preparation for Iron Fist. Definitely join us for that one. Yeah, really looking forward to uh, reconnecting with the Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. Not literally, because I don't want a broken jaw, but certainly <laughs> uh, can't wait to see uh, Finn Jones reprise his role as Danny Rand, the immortal Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. And plus, let's see if Ward Meacham has gotten away from his drug addiction. <laughs> or his hairstyle. Or his hairstyle. And what's happened with Joy? Is she still in Paris with Davos? Really, really looking Interesting forward to Interesting stuff. That. Yes, yes. John... I thought it was just your conference, but I think your arrogance is going to get us killed if we stay on board this podcast any longer. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. Talk to you again next time. As always, fellow defenders, it is a pleasure speaking with you, and we will speak with you again soon. Bye.